You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's jump in there and see if we can get the Holy Spirit stirring you up, okay? And we're going to be in verse 13. This passage is powerful. In fact, when we get to verses 21 through 25, I would argue that we have the hinge of the letter, the heartbeat of First Peter. So what we have today is really the, the, the centerpiece of what he's trying to communicate and teach us. And I would have you remember that we are in a series called God's People Gathered. And what we're trying to do is make the case, the biblical case, for why we gather together in community. And today what I want to show you is, is that the church's strength is that we are a community of faith uh, planted in a community. Every church is a community within community. We are called to be salt and light in our area. And I'm going to show you here in 1 Peter how that is so. So if you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word. I'm going to read these verses to you beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Peter says this. He says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Here's the centerpiece of the letter. For this you have been called, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now notice that he's writing to the church. He said, listen, every one of us, we were once the ones who were straying, but now we follow Jesus. Amen? We follow Jesus. Let's see what that looks like, how that's applied through the body of Christ. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we come to you now. We ask you to anoint this time we have to share together. And may your grace and mercy abound in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There was a time when the churches in a community here in America were the game changers, the difference makers. A church was an integral part of community life. I would argue, I don't have any stats to back this up, but I think uh, the impression I have, and I would say many of you have too, is that over time the church has become less and less of an influence in community. More and more the church has been pushed to the side, and some of that's because of the secular culture, but some of that could be because we are not living uh, as Jesus would have us live. We are not following in the footsteps of Jesus as we ought to. 
When we are truly following Jesus, the community, which is the church, within the community, which here is Springfield, Greater Springfield, we will make a difference in the community. We will be a group of people changing the community around us. But that only happens when we decide to follow Jesus. As a young man, many times we would have an invitation. And the hymn would be, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That song always reminded me that the, the pursuit of Christ is not one that I can turn on and turn off. I can't choose which days I follow Jesus. Every day I follow him, no turning back, no turning back. Today, before we leave here, I want to challenge you to think about the decisiveness in your Christian life. If you are going to be a part of this community of faith, changing this community in which we live, you need to decide to make your faith active not passive. You must decide that you are going to give your best to Jesus and stop making excuses for anything less than that. The church has to be decisive. We have to believe that we are called here to change the game. We are not passive participants in the game of life. We are on the field. We are to play the game. We are to win, not for ourselves, but for Christ. The community needs to see this. What does that look like? It's a gracious spirit. It's a humble lifestyle. Maybe that's not what you were expecting. I wanted to give you the old, you know, coach, cheer you up. All right, we're going to go take on the world. How do we take on the world? How do we move the needle in the direction of Christ? A gracious spirit. A humble lifestyle. I want to tell you that's radical living. And here's why. When we think about the concept of radical in our culture, we think of those who do extreme things, extremely selfish things, extremely violent things. Radical in our world today is kind of like the radical people who do great harm, hurt and kill people for quote unquote their faith or their philosophy. Those who are willing to bring extreme pain to the world to get what they want. I'm sorry, I don't know what your politics are, but I think it's pretty clear. What's happening over in Russia in Ukraine is a horrible thing. Maybe 100,000 100, souls have been lost because of one man's ambition. Because, because countries want and, and leaders want more and more power. That's the way. That's a radical way of living. But that kind of radical living brings nothing but pain. But we are called to a radical life of extreme selflessness and peace. If we want to be a community in this community making a difference, we need to die to self and we need to be peacemakers in a world filled with war. This is extreme. And when we live extreme lives like this, instead of hurting people, which is what radicals do apart from Christ, radicals in Jesus are people who have been healed by the power of the cross and thus are not wounding others, but helping them find healing in Jesus. People healed by the cross of Christ shouldn't be a people who wound others. If we are wounding others in our fellowship and in our community, we will not be the church we are called to be. We must die to ourselves. We must make sure that we are willing to take the wounds as Jesus took them in order to bring, in, in, for the purpose of bringing healing into this world. We need to be willing to take the punch. And one of the reasons why the church is not being successful in our world today is because it seems like we're trying to dodge the punch always. But sometimes we have to take the punch for Christ. 
If we love Jesus and we want to see his witness spread throughout the world, we have to receive some wounds. We must be willing to do the hard work in the trenches with broken people. And you've heard me say it many times, broken people have sharp edges, but the church cannot be afraid of the sharp edges. In Africa, every single compound I saw had broken glass on the tops of the walls so that people wouldn't go in. And I want to tell you, people have built walls around their hearts. And if you're going to break through that wall, you're going to have to climb over a wall that has sharp glass on the top. You're going to get cut. You're going to be wounded. And I want to ask you, is a soul worth it? Is a soul worth going to the other side of the world? Absolutely. Let me tell you something else. It's also worth it for you to put yourself in a position where someone is going to give you a hard time. They're not going to like you. They're not going to love you. They're not going to encourage you. They're not going to lift you up. But you go anyway. You climb over the wall. You get cut by their sharp elbows. And you do it because you love them in Jesus' name. Jesus was willing to bear a thorn of crowns. He was willing to be beat to a bloody pulp. He was willing to be nailed to a tree, as we see here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He was willing to do those things so that your heart could be healed. And I ask you, church, what are we willing to do to see healing take place? We are called to be salt and light, but that requires a level of bravado that most churches are not expressing in the world today. We will not make a difference in our community in a passive way. We must be active. If we were to use this illustration and think of the community as a bowl of soup, the church should be salt in the community, salt in the soup, making it taste better. Let me go a little further. I would suggest that the church, community within community, is not just salt, but a little bit of cayenne pepper. We're to spice it up a little bit. We make it more savory, yes, but I'm going to tell you, the world needs to see us hot. The world needs to see us a little spicy. And I'm telling you, the problem is, many of the churches aren't making a difference because we're bland. We're not noticeable in the community. We're not applying the salt and the pepper. We're not being the change agents in community that we're called to be. But we gather here to stir the pot. We gather here to remind ourselves as we come together that we are stronger together, that we can truly be change agents in the culture if we let the kingdom of God drive us. Peter's words today for us are needful. In fact, I would argue verses 21 through 25 are at the very core of the gospel. What the world needs is the church on fire with gospel grace. Gospel grace causes us to serve the most needy, to sacrifice for the most hurting, and to be willing to receive wounds. We cannot be weak. We must be willing to suffer. We must be willing to take the beating that it takes to reach people for Jesus. Is it hard to reach people? Is it hard to enter into their pain? Absolutely, absolutely. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Every moment you spend trying to win a soul, do you realize that's an eternal endeavor? How much energy do you pour in getting the good grade? How much energy do you pour in getting the promotion? And that doesn't mean a thing in eternity. How much are you pouring into the lost soul? Because that means everything in eternity. This community within community is called to make a difference, to shake things up. And we can't expect to have a watered down faith and add flavor to the community. 
We must be bold in our gospel preaching. We must be bold in our gospel teaching. We must be bold in our gospel living. We must add spice or it's not even worth it. This community has plenty of flavors, but we need to make sure that the Christian flavor is there and strong. We are not so bold as to think that we, we want to silence any other voice. A community is going to be diverse like ours. It's going to have a lot of different voices. That's okay. But let us not be put in a corner. Let us not be put on the side. We have something to contribute to the song. We have a verse to play. We have a piece to offer. And the church is called to be something powerful, flavorful in the community. Oh, when a Christian lives as a servant of God and a servant of others, the world will take notice. We stand out most when we stand up for Jesus. When we are willing to be nailed to our own cross for Jesus, even the secular world is going to take notice. And I believe if Christ, if you're here today and you would say Christ has uh, been a healing agent in your life, then let me just ask you, if you've been healed by gospel grace, what are you doing to help be a healing agent of gospel grace in our community? It's just really sad to think that you've been given that much grace from God and you're not sharing that grace with anybody. It breaks my heart to think that you have found healing in this community and yet you've never invited anybody into this community. Are you hearing me? You know, you could say, well, I love my church. Well, are you inviting people? The stats out there are pretty simple. Um, people are waiting to be invited to church. They, they are never going to have a chance to say no to you if you don't at least offer. And many people, uh, they would be willing to give it a shot. But we just have to have the courage. We have to believe that there is a spice here that's worth uh, uh, experiencing. Not just in the context of our community, but something that can change us so that we can change the community around us. Let us look at a few things here in this text. And I'll uh, go through these things. I hope that they will encourage you uh, to either be a part of this church and to join the church. Or if you've already been a member for a long time, just ask yourself, what spice do I bring? How am I a part of the healing work of the gospel at Ridgecrest Baptist Church? We need to make sure that we are a part of the solution, a part of peacemaking, a part of selflessness, a part of gospel ministry. Every one of you play an important role, your role for the church, the community within the community. First, we live as people who are free. Now, I find it very interesting in verses 13 through 17 that Peter talks about the government an awful lot. And usually when the government is talked about in a Baptist church anyway, it's always negative. We're, we're fighting against the evil, tyrannical government. All that may be true, but I've got news for you. In 2,000 years of church history, there have been very few governments that have been friendly towards the church. And here's the wild thing. When we do find um, governments that are very friendly to the church, the church just grows soft and loses its witness. Usually the church is at its best when there is heat on on them when they are under persecution but notice this peter says in verse 13 be subject to the lord's sake uh, to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme and he goes on to talk about governors and every other thing listen this is radical he is writing this at a time when a man by the name of trajan was the emperor of rome if you know your roman history trajan was one of the the, the uh, repeat offenders of attacking people of faith he was no friend of the church Peter knows this. 
He knows people that he loves, people in Rome, a church that he would have pastored. He knows people that have not just suffered because of Trajan's uh, uh, tyrannical ways, tyrannical ways, but have died. And yet he says, be subject for the Lord's sake, even to the emperor as supreme. Some people talk about Christianity having a problem of history. And what they mean by that is, if Christians have the truth, why is it that they're always being persecuted? Why is it that throughout history there have been so many governments against them? And you can go back into the Hebrew context and look in the Old Testament and see how the Jewish people have suffered. But this misses the point. Even when the world is against the church, notice how the church continues to grow and thrive. Don't look at the persecution of the church by the secular world, but look at the church growing in spite of the persecution of the secular world. When we ask the question, is the God of history on our side? Yes, because the light of the gospel has not been extinguished by Trajan or by any other Hitler or Stalin or wicked man or woman in, ru in, in rule, in leadership. God has always preserved his people. And what we need to realize is, is that it is our job to live as good citizens, realizing that God has sent those leaders to us. Verse 14, that it is the will of God to submit our hearts to God's will, even when it hurts. To submit to God's will, even when uncomfortable to do so, is the mark of faith. The church today will be a helpful, spicy community within community when we are willing to suffer, to be uncomfortable for Jesus. In fact, this is how we'll be marked. That's how people will know that we live as a people, verse 16, who are free. Notice that. Live as people who are free. Now, in America, when we say free, we're thinking Bill of Rights. That's okay. That's a wonderful thing. But that's not what First Peter's talking about. When he says that we need to live as people who are free, he is not talking about external rights. He is talking about your heart set free. And I want to tell you that the church, in theory, is filled with baptized believers, born-again baptized believers, who have been set free from sin. We ought to act like we've been set free. Not just avoiding sin, but indulging in gospel pursuits. Those who are living free are not chained down by their sins and thus are given wings of freedom to serve Jesus with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. God wants to use this community within this community to bring grace and peace. And what we want to do is bring that out of our hearts to the world. Those who don't know God can't understand the inner strength and resolve of a person who has been radically saved from their sin. The ignorance of foolish people. Notice that in verse 15, second part of verse 15. The ignorance of foolish people the only way that we can counteract that ignorance is by being filled with the Holy Spirit what we have to do is be rebellious against the sinful designs of the world we need to make sure that we are constantly turning from evil and turning to Jesus a heart set free will not be chained down by sin what we have to do is love Jesus more, witness for him more, and that means suffering for Jesus more. Your heart may be free even if you're in bondage. Look at Peter, look at Paul, look at many of the early disciples and apostles. They were prisoners. They were in prison. They were spending time in prison for their faith, and yet they had hearts that were free. 
God is calling us to love and honor all people, even if they don't deserve it. That's what free people do. If you are free in Christ, listen to this, you are free to love those who are most unlovable. People think about being free means that I can do whatever I want. No, being free in Jesus means that you love the people who don't deserve it. A heart set free is not chained down by sin, nor is it chained down by any arrogance. We love people enough to show them the way to Jesus. Amen? To have a chance at winning a soul, you must love a soul. If you are so worried about being treated fairly, you will not love supremely. I'm here to tell you that it is imperative. It's not that you don't love people if you're not witnessing, but it sure shows that you love people when you witness to them. I think many times American Christians are more worried about being treated fairly than they are about loving supremely. Now, just let me meddle here for a moment. If you don't like it, you can have your money back, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you know, this is free. I want to give this to you. I think one of the reasons why Christians are not being a good community within community is because we spend so much time with a chip on our shoulder waiting for somebody to knock it off. We're always looking for a way where we can complain about how the government is, re is repressing our rights or taking away our freedoms. We complain about the state of the world, the state of our schools, the state of our job, the state of our denomination. It, we're not free from it in Baptist life. If you go on the, on the uh, uh, different... Uh, sites that talk about this stuff. I mean, everybody's always complaining about the leaders and always complaining about the direction we're going. I mean, it's just all the time something negative. Let me just say this. The reason why we do those things is because we are so concerned about getting what we want. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to really follow Jesus, if you want to set the world on fire, if you want this to be a community within community, changing the community, then get over yourself. Stop worrying about being treated fairly and start loving people supremely. Love well. Love well. If you love well, you can't be selfish and love well at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Fighting for fairness isn't our job. What we're here to fight for is the gospel of Jesus. If you're treated unfairly because you're preaching Jesus, amen. Wear that as a badge. Don't shirk from that pain. Be gracious to all those around you, even when they are giving you none in return. Be willing Point two, to suffer for our witness, our suffering and our witness. Nick, I am so proud of you for preaching that passage on suffering. I gave that man a choice. I told him that he could preach those verses or he could preach anything he wanted. He could have gone easy. You went to the hard place. That's one of the, some of the hardest passages to preach on suffering. I'm so thankful that he did it because we cannot understand 1 Peter without a, an understanding of Christian suffering. So what was said last week is far beyond what I can tell you in this one point. But let me say this to you. Um, suffering must become a part of the community of faith. If we are going to reach suffering souls, we must be willing to enter into suffering. We must be willing to put ourselves in the place of danger and discomfort. Are you willing to do that? Because until you are, you're not going to season the culture around you. I want you to think for just a moment of a self-image. I'm going to use a, a, an illustration here. Some of you may get it. Some of you may not. Years ago, uh, the Matrix film. Do you remember that film? It's kind of a, a weird sci-fi kind of interesting take on reality. In fact, it'll twist your brain into a pretzel pretty quick, especially when the second and third one, they were just dumb. But the first one was really, really good. 
And one of the things they were talking about, they were talking about how they, these, these people, these human beings were living in this fake digital world. And one of the things, just the very first time I watched the movie that grabbed my attention is that when you're in that fake world, you're wearing a certain kind of clothes, you have your hair a certain way, and, and uh, the main character asks, what's that about? And I don't remember the exact language, but basically what they said was this, that we have this self-image that we project to the world. Like, there's a, a way that we think of ourselves, uh, okay, you know, and we kind of envision what we were like in that moment, and we always look a lot better than we actually look. And we always talk a little bit more eloquently than we actually talk. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever listened to yourself talk on tape or on video, you go, I sound terrible. I thought I sounded like Adrian Rogers. I sound more like Mickey Mouse. This is horrible. You know, we have this image like, yeah, you're this powerful preacher. No, you're, you're a pipsqueak. You, you know, you, you're nothing. Uh, but anyway, so I got to thinking about this image, this self-image. And when you think about, like when you're envisioning yourself as a believer, as a member of the church, how are you envisioning yourself? You know, you're wearing the leather jacket and, the, and got the sunglasses on? You know, you're cool, like Matrix cool? Probably not. Probably you're much less than what you know you need to be. And that's okay. Look at verse 18. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect. You don't need to be cool. You need to be a servant. The word in Greek here is doulos. It means a house slave. Don't get caught up in the idea of slavery in the way you think of it. You've heard me say before, slavery in the Greco-Roman context is kind of like the working poor. When we think of slave in our day, we, we, we think about it in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century in the Western context in Europe and in America, which is a horrible type of slavery, and all slavery is bad, but that's not what's going on here. These are the working poor. These are people who have a master that they work for. So it's kind of like if you're working at a job and you're getting paid very little and, and the boss is tough on you, that's kind of the do-loss idea. But notice this, when, a, when there was a servant he had a master, and he served that master faithfully or else. Now, with Jesus, it isn't an or else, but it's interesting to me that our self-image, if we think of ourselves as, I'm a game changer at this church. Boy, what would this church do without my tithe? What would this church do without my gifts? That cannot enter into the equation. And I'm not accusing anybody of that, but sometimes in Christianity, you talk to people, and they're like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Now, some people joke about it, but some people, I think, are actually serious. Like, I'm like, wow. I mean, past Jesus and the apostles, we've got you. I mean, that's pretty good. I, it's exciting. Um, we're very confident in our gifts. But the truth is, we're at our best when we're just servants, plain old servants, willing to get our hands dirty, willing to be cut by the sharp elbows of a fallen creature, another human being made in the image of God who is suffering. When was the last time you washed the feet of a hurting soul? I saw pictures last week. I didn't see it up close and personal. There's a, a type of parasite that digs into the feet of Africans that live near rainforests, which is where we were in Kasumu. These parasites bore into the flesh. The believers at David's church have a ministry where they bring these people over and it takes hours of digging into people's feet. 
to pull these parasites out. And I'm not trying to gross you out, and the little kids, I'm sorry, I'm not trying, but I want you to know that, like, when the Bible speaks of washing feet, that's no joke. Like, uh, would you be willing? Now, you may not be medically proficient to do that. I know I'm not. I don't know. I have the stomach for it. I watched a goat get, get slaughtered, and now I think I'm a vegetarian now. <laughs> they were eating stuff out of that goat that had just been killed that they shouldn't have been eating. Having a salad for lunch today. Anyway, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we need to be willing to deal with the inconveniences. Now, why would I, I said earlier, go to Africa or someplace like that? One of the reasons you need to do that is because your Christianity is lazy compared to what those folks have to go through. Now, I'm not saying I want us to, to, to be like that necessarily, but you need to see it. You know, washing feet, we've got that image like, oh, that's gross. Oh, let me tell you, just washing feet's no big deal. Picking out parasites out of people's feet, that's a, that's a t- totally different thing. We saw this little boy, we couldn't even care for him. He ran off, didn't he, Michael? He ran off into the bush before we could grab him. His head was filled with sores. In the Old Testament, they would have called it leprosy. It wasn't leprosy. It was just that running through the bush, he'd got his head cut up and it had never healed. And all that he needed was a little bit of antiseptic. And when we tried to grab him, he got afraid and he ran. But looking at that head and, and just looking at the, how the, the, just the, the sickness there. And we complain about how long a sermon is. Whether or not the air conditioner was cold enough. Whether they played the songs I love. We need to go see what's going on in the world so that we learn to be servants instead of complainers. A gentleness and respect must overtake our hearts. But that only happens when Christ takes over our hearts. Free people, free people are willing to suffer for hurting people. That's what Christ has called us to do. Oh, let me ask this of you. Can the world see that Christ has conquered your heart? Is there compassion in you? We need people who live free and love well. The church needs people who suffer well and exhibit grace. Is that you? Are you suffering well? Are you exhibiting grace well? We must be willing to suffer. We must exhibit grace because people are saved by the grace of God. Notice in verse 19, we are told to be mindful of God. And I think that that's what Paul was getting at in Philippians 2 when he said that we need to have the mind of Christ. And if we have the mind of Christ, we look at the least of these around us and we love them well. And we do that in the context of community. We serve our community. We serve hurting people because that's what Jesus would do. If we want to change the world, we must let Jesus change our hearts. And when Jesus changes our hearts, it is only then that we can become agents of healing in a broken world. Friends, you must decide today to follow Jesus. You must decide today that your heart will be changed and that you will be willing to hurt and suffer for lost souls. And that brings us to our final point and really the center of the letter, Christ's example and the healing we need. Jesus doesn't simply ask us to suffer. He shows us how to suffer. Look at verse 21. The first word there that I want you to see is example. Notice it says, for to, for, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now, this word is used in the Greek context in, in primary education. 
So all my teachers in here, uh, you'll appreciate this. So when you're teaching kids how to do their letters, you have that specially uh, lined paper, right? That has the two solid lines and then the little dashed line in the middle. And you teach uppercase and lowercase letters. And many times those sheets of paper will have a good example at the beginning of the line and you're supposed to repeat it. Now when I was learning cursive, I was terrible at the Q's and the Z's. So I got bad grades on those. Um, and, and when I'm writing Greek and Hebrew, um, my, you think my English handwriting's bad, you ought to see Greek and Hebrew, it's terrible. Um, but, but ideally, you see the example and you trace the example. So what Peter is saying here is that Jesus gives us the example and we just trace along those lines. You don't need to reinvent Christianity, you just need to use Jesus as your example and live like him. Some days will look like my cues looked when I was in second grade, but many times if you'll just trace the lines, God will use you in a mighty way. Notice the other example that he uses in verse 21 that you might follow in his steps. This one's a little easier to see immediately, and that is Jesus is walking a path, and we are just, as a child will do, trying to make sure we're stepping in the same footprints as Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And notice when you read the Gospels, you realize that to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to be willing to suffer as Jesus suffered. And let me say this, I think many people today get lost in their suffering because they haven't been following Jesus step by step. There are many people in the church today that will say, I'm not serving the Lord because I've been hurt in the service of the Lord. I'm sorry that happened, but just remember, you're not keeping up with Jesus when you say that because Jesus kept serving us even as he was being persecuted. You have to stay in step with Jesus to be able to take the uh, injustices of this world. In, in, in other words, to get past the suffering and pain you experience as you try to serve Jesus and fail, the only way you're going to stay on the straight and narrow is to stay in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus went all the way to the tree, we are told. He was willing to die on the cross. If our lives don't bring hope and life to a lost world, we are missing the way Christ has laid out for us. I do not doubt that some of you in this room bear wounds from the past, but if you let Christ heal your wounds, you can become an agent of healing. We don't have enough healed hearts providing healing for others. So let me just say it this way. One of the reasons why we don't often do good at caring for people is because we have not received healing from Jesus. Hurting people don't do a good job of helping other hurting people. We have to find healing in Christ, and then we can help in the power of Christ. And one of the challenges I have for you this morning is, if you feel like your heart has been broken or hurt, come to the altar and ask Jesus to provide healing. If you want to be an agent of change and healing in the church, let Jesus heal you. If you are bitter, if you are jaded, if you are cynical, if you are sarcastic, and that's how people know you, and that's the only way they know you, then I want to just challenge you and say, you've got brokenness that needs to be healed in Jesus. People need to see love and peace and joy. Long-suffering. Listen, you have to be long-suffering to deal with people. You have to be patient. You have to follow the one who is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Verse 25. Look at this language. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus did all those things for us. What are you doing for Jesus? Let me give you a couple things here. 
first, we must turn the other cheek, brothers and sisters. If someone has offended you, that doesn't make it right. But if you get bitter and angry and it causes you to be less than what Christ wants you to be, that sin is yours. Learn to turn the other cheek. Secondly, we must let grace guide our words and deeds. The world needs to know this thing called forgiveness, this thing called grace, this thing called mercy, this thing called love. That's what the church, the community within community, brings uh, to its community. Third, we must let Christ's love heal our broken hearts. If you are here today and you are legitimately a casualty of church and ministry, join the club. Many of us in this room are serving Jesus with scars. God's people don't always act like they're God's people. God's people sometimes put their opinions above God's word. Sometimes I've been selfish and hurt people. I would guess you've done the same. Until we find healing in our hearts, forgiveness from Jesus, and then healing in our hearts, we will not be able to build the community within the community that Springfield needs. As we gather in the altar, and not that we do it every Sunday, but we ought to do it more, we ought to make sure that every week we are letting God heal us. We need to be decision makers. For there to be community within community, we must decide actively to follow Jesus and that good feelings and good actions are not enough. We must decide to make the gospel our everything. We need to show the world that we have renounced sin and that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And we must never let our past determine our next steps. Don't let what hurt has been in your life guide you any longer. Start a new path. Walk with Jesus. Stop making excuses. God wants you to be part of this community and changing the world for Jesus. Amen? But you're going to have to be bold enough this morning to make a decision. Let's, let's do it now. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.